Well, good afternoon, everyone. We'll start with some uh, happy news. Jeff Reddick and his wife, Lindsay, welcome baby Francis. Reddick into the world on Thursday, July 9th. Congratulations. Uh, Francis was born at 4.57 p.m. Thursday, July 9th, weighing 7 pounds, 8 ounces, 20 inches. Uh, today is Jeff's first day back to the briefing. So, Jeff, welcome back and congratulations. I'm wearing a tie today from Southern State Community College. Uh, they have four campuses, Hillsboro, Mount Orb, Washington Courthouse, uh, and Wilmington. So to all those who have um, graduated from Southern State Community College and everyone else who works there, congratulations for the great work that you all do. Uh, yesterday, our Department of Rehabilitation and Correction Director, Annette Chambers-Smith, announced that she has tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, Director Chambers-Smith was tested on Friday, July 24th, after she began uh, not feeling very well. She received her positive test result yesterday, and she called me right after that. Uh, contact tracing, the normal contact tracing, has begun for staff uh, who have been working at the central office uh, and may have come in recent contact uh, with the director. Director Smith, uh, Chamber Smith, has not physically been inside a prison since June 26th and has not been at the central office since last Tuesday, uh, July 21st. Uh, she's currently working from home, uh, where she called me and managing her symptoms, uh, which at this point are mild. We wish her uh, certainly, certainly all the best. Uh, Fran and I, uh, in the last several weeks, um, have had um, some of our friends who have come down with COVID-19, uh, as I uh, said last week, uh, one of our friends, Pat Flanagan, uh, died from that. Uh, today we learned another friend uh, has COVID, and so we wish him all the best. I won't say his name, but we wish him all the best. Um, Let's go, uh, Eric. Let's look at the look at the slides if we can. So we look at the look at the numbers. The the case numbers um, are kind of hovering around thirteen, fourteen, fifteen hundred. Um, as you can see below that, uh, tragically, the deaths were thirty eight in the last twenty four hours that were reported. Uh, certainly is higher than the 21-day average. Uh, hosp new hospitalizations, 140, that is higher than the 21-day average. Uh, and ICU admissions uh, it is up. Uh, let's look at the um, current number who are in the hospital. Uh, looking at the number of confirmed COVID-19 patients that are currently hospitalized in Ohio, we continue to see a consistent increase. As of today, we have 1,144 individuals uh, who are currently hospitalized compared to 1,024 on July 15th. So those numbers are certainly not going in the, in the right direction for us. Uh, Eric, let's look at the next uh, slide. Uh, this is some good news. Um, and this this is good news, and we hope this certainly hope this uh, trend continues. Um, this chart shows the trend in emergency department visits, and as you recall, this is an early warning indicator. 
And as you can see, it went up for some time. It has now started to go down. We just hope that that continues. Uh, this is displayed as a seven-day uh, moving average, and it's also behind. And again, I would emphasize this. Uh, the number of COVID-related emergency department visits increased from late March uh, through early May, then steadily declined until around June 11th. Uh, we then had a steady increase for about one month with a peak around July 12th, July 12th. Uh, good news is that we're starting to see a decrease in the emergency department visits uh, in, in recent days, and we hope that that uh, keeps up. Again, these are delayed numbers, uh, but we're happy to see them start start down. Uh, let me just talk for a moment um, uh, about maybe where we are. Um, and it's always uh, uh, tough uh, to just tell exactly where we are. Uh, but we're looking at these numbers every single day. Uh, we believe we have started to see a, a plateau in, in some of these numbers, uh, certainly not in all the numbers. Uh, but if you look at the cases, uh, they have plateaued out uh, for a while. Uh, we saw some uh, increase on Saturday or Sunday, uh, back down again a, a little bit. Uh, but this early warning one uh, that we have up here is 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 a good a good sign. Um, so we're we're happy happy to see that, um, and I'll come back and talk about that a little a little bit later. Um, let's turn now to the fares. Uh, I want to talk about our our fares. Um, we have great fairs in the state of Ohio, um, independent fairs, county fairs. And our goal uh, this summer was, in spite of the COVID-19, uh, to try to hold these fairs. Uh, and our goal was to focus on our young people. Uh, the essence of county fairs is really the young people who are in 4-H, FFA, the young kids who are competing, not just those who raise lambs or steers or, or chickens or, or goats, um, but also those who um, might take in a project in, in rockets, uh, a project in, in welding. Uh, Fran, I know a young lady from Greene County uh, who a number of years ago, that's how she got interested in, in welding. Uh, we have kids who take photography. So all kinds of projects. And our goal was to preserve the county fairs for that purpose. Uh, again, the essence of, of the fair. Uh, to do that, uh, we asked the fairs uh, to discourage congregation of, of large gatherings, gatherings of people on the county fairgrounds. Uh, we laid down some guidelines, uh, very specific uh, guidelines in regard to how many people could be in the grandstand as far as the distancing uh, that was take, taking place. Uh, facial coverings uh, for all uh, employees were required. Uh, social distancing, um, the uh, show ring, uh, the grandstand there, not really a grandstand, but in the barns uh, where uh, the livestock are shown, where the shows occur, uh, we ask people to be respectful and let the family members come in and watch the show so that people would not be so crowded together. Uh, in addition to that, uh, working with the state legislature, we provided uh, each fair $50,000 uh, to be able to, to put on the fair. And the idea was that that would help them uh, put on a, a much, much safer fair. 
Uh, we have worked uh, w with the fairs. We have also worked uh, with the local health departments. Uh, and, and some of the fairs have done a, a very, very good job. They work very, very hard. Uh, but at this point, uh, as we start to head into really the busiest uh, part of the year of uh, the summer with the county fairs, uh, it's become increasingly clear um, that we cannot uh, have a regular safe fair uh, in the Ohio summer, the COVID summer of 2020. Uh, that we simply cannot do that. Uh, therefore, we are uh, making the, we'll be making the order um, that will take all fairs uh, going forward uh, to junior fairs. Um, I want to say again a shout out. Uh, we're seeing some fairs that have done a very, very good job. Uh, Union County that has a junior fair. Some fairs elected to do junior fairs. Some decide to do full fairs. Uh, Union County, uh, they're really working very, very hard, taking a lot of good safety measures to ensure that these fairs, their particular fair is safe. Uh, Clark County, uh, judges there are reinforcing uh, by wearing masks and talking about masks, they're, they're reinforcing the importance of masks. Uh, so there's, there's, there's good things going on out there, yet uh, we've seen uh, outbreaks connected with, with fairs. Uh, we've seen a lack of distancing. Uh, we've seen, uh, even after the mask order uh, w was put on, uh, we've seen fairs that uh, clearly were not enforcing uh, any kind of mask order at all. Uh, there have been pictures in the paper. There are pictures up on, on uh, social media. Um, and that's just a real shame. Uh, it's a real shame. Uh, so it's clear that we cannot have um, fairs that are safe, uh, full fairs. Uh, so um, we will preserve the fair, the junior fairs, um, for livestock, photography, rockets, uh, whatever, whatever, sewing. Uh, but uh, going forward, no grandstand events, uh, no rides, uh, no games, uh, no carnival, uh, and a curfew uh, with the exception of a show that might go later than, than that or a reason to be on the fairgrounds, a curfew at, at, at 10 p.m. So all fairs that will be starting uh, on uh, July 31st, um, and after all fairs starting on July 31st and after uh, will be uh, a junior fair and um, I think we've preserved the essence of the fairs but I'm sorry that this simply did not did not work um, you know we know that uh, one fair had 19 people who tested positive for COVID um, uh, these people had all been to, been to the county fair three others who tested positive had been around someone who'd been at the fair uh, we now have an outbreak uh, with connections to another fair uh, with a couple confirmed cases, one probable, uh, several other cases under investigation. Um, and, I, and I guess my, my summation is that what we do at, at our county fairs and what we do all summer uh, and everything we do is really going to determine uh, what happens uh, as we move as we move forward. 
Uh, it's going to determine what our fall is like. It's going to determine uh, whether our kids go back to school, how they go back to school. They're going back to school. The question is how they go back to school. It's going to determine um, whether we can continue to grow the economy uh, and, and jobs. Um, you know, I think in life we we always set priorities and we decide what is important. And so, uh, you know, with some with some good news, the one chart I, I showed up there um, is we look forward. Um, we've now had uh, a few weeks, a couple weeks, uh, with the mask order on, and we are starting to see, particularly in the red uh, counties, uh, where that mask order has been on longer. Uh, we certainly are seeing a lot more people wearing masks uh, by a, a big, big leap. Um, my uh, message and my plea to uh, everyone uh, going forward uh, is if you live in a yellow county or an orange county, um, what you do and, and as we move forward is going to determine how school will open, whether school will be able to continue. Uh, it's going to determine uh, our, our ability to grow the economy. So these are just very, very important things. And I would just ask everyone in the yellow counties, orange counties, um, you know, start use, using those masks more. Uh, that's going to make a difference. We don't have to have everybody do it. We get 80, 90 percent. We're going to knock this uh, virus in the head, uh, and it's going to make a lot better as we move forward in, in, in the fall and in the winter. Uh, if you're concerned about playing, kids concerned about playing football, run cross country, tennis, whatever they like to do, uh, be in plays, all the things that, that we want our kids to be able to do and our grandkids to be able to do, what we do now is really going to determine uh, whether these kids are able to do that. So we'd ask everybody to keep the mask on. Um, when you're out out in public and um, we can make some progress and we'll continue to continue to make the progress uh, one of the things I talked about uh, last week uh, is we are now uh, getting uh, we're asking our local health departments to give us stories uh, to really explain how people get infected because I, I, I've always found that that stories uh, you know are, are instructive um, and I think there's a natural tendency that we all have myself included uh, that if we're around family if we're around friends we're not as concerned we may not be as likely to wear a mask we may not be as likely to keep a social distance and what we've seen is just a lot of casual uh, events in our lives where people are not careful they don't wear a mask they don't social distance can lead to a lot of outbreak couple couple stories uh this is um began on a 40 minute ride uh from one county in ohio uh to a lake and this was on the fourth of july here's what happened four people rode together in a car to the lake dad mom their adult daughter and a family friend uh the family friend had the virus but certainly did not know it uh the family friend infect ended up infecting the dad who ended up in the icu in pittsburgh uh, this dad has a business that had to temporarily close. Two of his employees then tested positive. Uh, their daughter also got sick. She had mild symptoms. Uh, she was in the process of being hired for her first teaching job. Uh, now that process is delayed uh, because she has to have two negative uh, coronavirus tests for the process to move forward. Luckily, uh, the mom didn't get sick. However, the reach of COVID-19 certainly did not even stop with that immediate family. The mom's mother 
in her 90s um, and two caregivers. Um, excuse me, the mom's mother's in her 90s. She has two caregivers who have been around the family after exposure. They both tested positive. One of those caregivers ended up in the ICU. A different patient who the caregiver also took care of, also in her 90s, also got sick. It just goes on and on. Uh, after testing positive, the family friend's employer uh, had to temporarily close uh, so that the other uh, stylists who worked the salon could quarantine. Luckily, uh, since they wore their masks, none of them got sick. However, the family friend passed the virus on to her husband. His business had to temporarily close while his employees quarantined. Uh, one of his employees was getting married and found out on her wedding day that she would need to quarantine. A different employee was on vacation and had to stay in the hotel for the rest of the vacation. Unbelievable. Uh, ten people got sick. Two people ended up in the ICU. Uh, three businesses were temporarily closed. Co-workers and family members were worried, inconvenienced, quarantined. Uh, the local health department's team is still monitoring people who were exposed, and they expect to learn of additional COVID-19 cases stemming from that single car ride. Uh, another example of how one person can infect others involves a birthday party in the eastern part, uh, also in the eastern part of the state. A woman went to get tested, ultimately tested positive, but while waiting to receive her results, she decided uh, to host her 50th birthday party with about 20 guests. Two of those guests um, run a home daycare center. One of them tested positive, and they had to temporarily close the daycare. A different guest, who also works at a foster care group home for teenage girls, also tested positive. Now, that foster care has nine employees and six residents who have all tested positive. One of the teens uh, is in the hospital. In another county, uh, there is a charitable fundraiser in mid-July with 100 to 200 people in attendance. It was a poker run that had dinner afterwards with a band on site. To date, they've had 46 cases tied to this charitable event. 31 of these cases are people who attended the fun fundraiser. 11 cases are people who gave the illness, uh, who they, I'm sorry, who they gave the illness to. Uh, four cases are still being investigated, but have ties to the event. Uh, look, we, we don't bring these up to uh, shame anybody or, or, or to say, you know, they did something bad. We, we simply are trying to show uh, as what we're seeing, what we're seeing, and share with you what we see every day, and that is stories of average Ohioans um, who, because they're not as cautious as they should be, uh, or they might be, we end up with a, a very, very significant spread. Uh, I think we can look at these stories uh, as just instructive uh, of how uh, tough this virus is, how it spreads, uh, and how it certainly spreads uh, among from people who have, have no idea uh, that they have the virus at all. Let me turn to another subject in March. Tourism Ohio launched a campaign to support our local businesses during these unprecedented times. Uh, and I know you've seen a lot of these uh, ads up along with the website, Ohio. Uh, 
org support local the campaign has included television ads which is i see a lot uh this this week tourism ohio is launching a new ad in this campaign the new tv commercial and digital ad encourages ohioans to be safe while supporting local ohio businesses by showing consumers wearing masks and social distancing and asking them to put safety first so you can make memories that last. Ohio is proud to be one of the first states to use our marketing advertising to show consumers and businesses being safe by washing hands, social distancing, and wearing masks. Let's take a look. Ohio businesses have shown amazing strength by changing to keep us safe. Now it's time for all of us to do our part so the places we love can stay open, like wearing masks, social distancing, and washing our hands. We're in this together, Ohio. Let's put safety first so we can make memories that last. All right. Now, let me talk a little bit about child care. I know it's a subject uh, that we've received a lot of inquiries about. Uh, people are obviously very, very interested, particularly with school uh, about to start. Um, many school districts, uh, of course, are moving to online. Uh, part week options. Uh, what we're seeing from our schools is all kinds of different, uh, different decisions, all kinds of, of different options. Uh, families, of course, uh, are tracking that, and families where both parents are working, uh, we might have a single mom, single dad. They're making decisions uh, about what they need to do along with their children. With their children, uh, we know that children cannot learn unless they're safe, unless they're cared for. Uh, and without access to child care, parents may resort to less than ideal options because they have no choice for their child care. Uh, that might include relying on elderly grandmother, uh, grandfather, uh, who would normally everything would be fine, except today they're at a much greater risk for COVID. Uh, and that would create certainly a, a, great, a great worry. Uh, we are announcing today that effective uh, August 9th, child care providers in Ohio may return to their normal statutory ratios and class sizes. Uh, child care providers uh, will be given a choice, and we will spell this out in the days ahead. And let me just go back a minute. Uh, if you'll recall, uh, the child care that has been on for the last several months during this pandemic, uh, we've done absolutely everything we can uh, to make it as safe as we can and to reduce the, the chances of spread uh, of that of that virus. Uh, and one of the ways we've done it is we've reduced the ratio. Uh, we do reduce the ratio, the number of children per room, per per adult, per caregiver. Um, it is clear, uh, and and while doing that, we have subsidized uh, to the tune of I think about thirty million dollars a month uh, child care providers, both those in the private sector uh, that are not normally subsidized, as well as those that are subsidized normally. Uh, so uh, we've done that so that the child care uh, community. Uh, would have sufficient dollars to be able to run uh, the child care in the manner that we felt it needed to be run with the reduced ratios. Uh, it's also clear, however, uh, particularly with school getting ready to start back up, 
uh, and a lot of different demands uh, being on parents, uh, that that system would no longer work. Uh, and we've received comments from people who, you know, had a hard time getting into child care. So what we're doing now uh, and what we'll do beginning in, in the first part of August uh, is we will give child care providers a choice. Uh, they can get a significant subsidy, uh, and they will, if they do that, they will need to keep the small ratio, or if they elect not to do that, then they will go back to the normal uh, statutory uh, ratio. Uh, I know we've received some questions uh, in regard to uh, outbreaks connected with child care. Um, best data that we could come up with would indicate uh, that we've had uh, 442 people uh, since the pandemic began. Um, and of that group, 306 were staff and 136 were children uh, who came down positive who were in child care. Now, uh, Jobs and Family Services went back and tried to determine, this is imprecise art, uh, but tried to determine how many of those actually came out of the child care setting and how many may have come from directly from community spread. And again, uh, difficult to totally uh, have that figured out, but it looks like about three-fourths of those came from community spread. About a fourth came from um, uh, from cases directly into that came from that child care setting itself. Um, even with uh, increased classroom sizes. Uh, child care providers still have to comply with very stringent uh, health and safety requirements. Uh, these include face coverings for all staff and children over 10 uh, unless they have a health exemption, uh, symptom and temperature checks when staff and children arrive, uh, washing hands throughout the day including upon arrival and before departure, uh, frequent cleaning of high-touch services and regular uh, deep cleaning. Additionally, providers uh, will report any COVID cases to the Department of Jobs and Family Services as well, of course, to their local health department. Um, we will continue to closely monitor uh, reports of, of COVID everywhere and certainly including child care, uh, as well as we will continue to look at compliance with rules and best practices and respond as needed to keep our children, family, and teachers safe. I might add one additional uh, thing uh, to that. Uh, and that is there is a fairly large study that is going on that Ohio has participated in child care. Uh, it is possible that data that will come back from that, and we do not have that data yet, uh, may uh, necessitate or indicate some additional changes. But we'll have to see uh, that study. It's a quite large study, uh, not just in Ohio, but across the country. But Ohio participated significantly in that study, and we um, anxiously await the results uh, of that study. Uh, let me just say to all our child care providers, uh, those people who work every day, uh, who are out there with our children, uh, thank you. Um, these are not easy jobs in normal times, uh, and they're certainly not easy times uh, as we live uh, with this COVID. Uh, so thank you for taking care of the children. Uh, I, I know so many of you uh, do this just out of a deep passion and love for children, and we are very, very grateful uh, for that. We will... Uh, Ready to go to the questions.
Good afternoon, Governor. Kevin Landers, WBNS 10 TV. Why are counties in red continuing to allow high school athletes to train in groups? We have athletes in Westerville and Bexley here in central Ohio who have tested positive and their sports were shut down. And on that same note, Columbus has now closed bars at 10 o'clock. And do you believe other counties in red should do the same? Thank you. Well, first of all, um, I, I've talked with Mayor Ginther over the last week about uh, that decision. Uh, I applaud the decision. I think it's the right decision. Uh, we'll have additional um, discussion about this on, on Thursday about, about bars. So uh, nothing today, but we'll, we'll come back on that. Uh, look, it, 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 let's talk about sports. And let me just talk about it, if I could, in the context of schools in general. Um, we are all in a, a difficult period. Uh, we're living in a period of time when we don't know what the future is. Uh, we will, will, in fact, determine the future by what collectively uh, we do. We've got mixed numbers. Uh, as I indicated, we have some of the early warning signs look better, look pretty good. Um, we hope those continue, the number of people with COVID who are showing up in emergency rooms. Uh, we are seeing, uh, particularly in the red counties that have been red the longest, significant increase in, in the use of masks. Uh, that is a very, very positive thing. Uh, on the negative side, uh, you know, we're not going down yet in cases, certainly. Uh, we've got a high, high number of cases. Um, our positivity number has been fairly steady. We hope we've hit a plateau. We hope it starts going down. Um, so a lot of mixed things as, as we look at this. So we have schools. We have superintendents. We have school boards. We have parents who are trying to figure out where, what's this world going to look like uh, in four weeks, three weeks, when we start back to school. And no one can tell them. I can't tell them. No one can tell them. Uh, so they're having to make difficult decisions. Uh, we've got young people. Um, who uh, are going to be doing something this summer. Uh, and, you know, it's a balance and a decision that parents make uh, whether or not uh, being involved in some organized sports uh, is, a, is a better use of their time and maybe safer uh, or more dangerous, depending on what the, how the parent looks at it, uh, than what else that child would be doing during that period of time. So um, I hope that if we pull together as Ohioans over the next two, three, four weeks, we can remove some of this ambiguity. We can remove some of this uncertainty, and we can start getting a pathway. And the pathway needs to be going down in cases, and we need to see that. And we need to see it all over the state of Ohio. We need to see it in your school district. Um, we need to see the positivity uh, number start to go down. Uh, that's what we need to do. You know, we we can do this, but um, we got to pull together and work together. So my only point, Kevin, is parents are making tough choices, um, and these choices are only going to get more difficult if we don't get control of this virus. So let's get control of this virus. Good afternoon, Noah Blunda with Hannah News Service. Governor, um, today Columbus City Schools said it will start its school year virtually for the first nine weeks. The Ohio Education Association just said they would like that to be the case for any purple or red county school building. Um, 
do you think those are wise decisions? And uh, what are you going to be looking for to determine whether you would take action to send children back to all remote learning as you did in the fall? Well, that's a very good question. Um, The answer I just gave is probably the best answer I can give, and that that simply is that if we do what we need to do, we can start these numbers going in the right direction. Uh, We are at a a crucial time. Um, And these are tough decisions. Look, I've got, we got grandkids who live uh, five miles from each other uh, in one school, and the schools are about the same size. Uh, in one school, um, the decision was made uh, for the first, what they describe as the first quarter, totally remote. The other school made the decision basically that, um, you, you know, you can be remote if you want to, but uh, the norm is going to be back in school full time. Um, I don't think any of us, frankly, have enough information at this point to know which one of those decisions is the right decision or the wrong decision. Uh, What we have done in regard to schools, um, we have a long, long history of schools making up their own decisions. We even let schools in the state decide when they start school. We let them decide all kinds of different things. Uh, And that's because we have such 600 and some school districts, very, very diverse, different situations, different kids, different parents, different cultures. Uh, And so we historically do that. Now, we've given them some very significant guidance, uh, and we may add to some of that guidance uh, on on Thursday. Uh, But we've given them some guidance. Uh, But we've let that difficult decision about how they start back in or when they start back in up to them. Um, You know, if if we get to the point uh, where there's a clear answer and it's clear uh, which way we should go, you know, and I think we've got kids in danger. If I see kids in danger in this state and I know they're in danger, we will take action. Uh, But at this point, um, I, no one can say that one school district is, is making a wrong decision and the other school district is making a right decision. I think it's very, very, these are very tough and difficult decisions. The good thing that the schools are doing uh, is that they all have looked at this as we need alternatives. And they are giving parents choices. Uh, so those are two very, very positive things uh, that the schools are doing. But we could intervene i may intervene uh but certainly there's not enough data yet to make any kind of call like that Uh, we're not in that position to do it or to judge and say that's wrong that's right every day we get closer we're going to know more Hi, Governor. Max Philby with the Columbus Dispatch. Um, over the weekend, we and other media outlets reported that uh, you were in meetings with Dr. Deborah Burks from the White House Task Force uh, discussing the rise in positivity rates in places like Columbus and Cleveland. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about how those meetings went and um, what your communication with the White House moving forward will be in terms of trying to lower those positivity rates. Uh, in fact, I've got a, a call uh, at 3 o'clock, uh, 20, 22 minutes from now, uh, with the vice president and uh, Dr. Burks and others at the White House along with the other governors. Uh, we had a great, uh, great uh, discussion. Uh, we did it uh, primarily virtually. Uh, she was in Columbus. Um, 
She gave us kind of her take on what was going on. She has a concern about the Midwest, a uh, concern about Kentucky, Ohio, Indiana, uh, rest of the Midwest. Um, she shared some th- thoughts about that. Um, the good thing about these meetings is that you can really kind of get down into the into the details. Uh, and so we had a, a very good discussion with her uh, in regard to testing uh, and some possibilities that things that she suggested. Uh, and then we went back. I can't really talk about this yet because we haven't got anything worked out yet. But she had an idea. And then we came back with some information to her. And so, you know, we're going to go continue to go back and forth with that discussion. But she was very engaged. Uh, staff, Her staff was very engaged. We've been able to follow up with them since that discussion. But she understands uh, the important role that testing and timely testing and getting results back uh, plays in, in, in all of this. And so a lot of our discussion had to do – had to do with 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 testing um you know i don't i don't think it's any secret uh you know the white house's guidelines have been uh that in some of our counties what they call our yellow counties um you know their recommendation would be to shut bars down uh and you know we talked we talked about about that so but there was a good discussion very helpful thank you Hi, Governor. Jim Audi from WHIO-TV in Dayton. Uh, switching gears here, I wanted to ask about what may be happening either next or eventually uh, in response to the federal investigation here. To what degree, Governor, do you support reform legislation that would eliminate so-called dark money campaign groups, the 501c4s? Uh, it would eliminate that and add some sunshine to this, whether that's action here or elsewhere. Would you support that? Uh, I, what I have said, Jim, um, is I'm for as much openness as possible. Uh, but I don't want to mislead anybody who's watching this today. Um, the mere existence of these dark groups is not illegal today. Um, virtually every race, statewide race today, uh, for major office, uh, not just in Ohio, but across the country, uh, has an independent expenditure group. Uh, my guess is that there's not a anybody who's running for the U.S. Senate, uh, Democrat or Republican in this country, that doesn't have uh, an independent expenditure group that has been set up. So, you know, as as we look at this, uh, I think we have to distinguish between um, the allegations in regard to Mr. Householder, that part of those allegations that are talk about something that's illegal uh, versus the mere existence of independent expenditure groups, which is not illegal. Your question is the right question. Your question is, okay, Mike, what, what, you know, what would you favor? Look, I would favor total transparency uh, so the contributions that are given are, have to be disclosed. What I don't know, and I've asked my, t- my team to look at this, uh, is what we can do uh, based upon the U.S. Supreme Court case of Citizens United, which took a very expansive view of speech, uh, political speech, uh, and equated it to the expenditure of money. And 
not only that case, but subsequent uh, interpretations of that case, uh, whether or not what kind of legislation that we could actually get through uh, that would be constitutional. Because we have an obligation not to pass something that's not, a, not constitutional. Uh, so my commitment uh, is the people of Ohio that we will do whatever we can to have more openness. Uh, and we will come back uh, with a recommendation to the General Assembly. And I'm sure members of the General Assembly are looking at things uh, of that nature as well as, as well they should. And we intend to work with the General Assembly on this. Thank you, Governor. Good afternoon, Ben Schwartz with WCPO in Cincinnati. Um, Governor DeWine, Dr. Anthony Fauci was on Good Morning America this morning and um, flagged Ohio among a handful of other states, um, specifically Midwest states that he's uh, worried about with COVID-19 cases. He, um, wo he warned that if proper precautions aren't taken, that spikes that happened in states like Florida and Texas, um, Ohio could become those next. I'm wondering if you have a response to that warning. Correct. I don't think there's any doubt about uh, the spotlight should be on the Midwest today. Uh, I had the opportunity to talk to the governor of Kentucky uh, as, as well as uh, Indiana yesterday. He, the three of us talk every week. Um, our numbers are not totally dissimilar, fairly close, uh, and we're all concerned. We're all concerned about what's going on in our states. Uh, as I said, we are at a, you know, there is some good news out there. If you, if you look at the early warning signs, uh, people going into hospitals, uh, we hope it's not a blip. We hope it's real. Uh, those numbers are starting to go down. But uh, we're seeing hospitalization go up. Uh, we're seeing uh, cases at, at a high, historically high level. And so, yeah, we're very, very concerned. Uh, I do believe that we've seen some progress in regard to people wearing masks. Uh, uh, I believe that that has resulted in, in some some of these better numbers. And um, I think if we all do that, even in counties where they may not think they have much COVID, uh, if they can keep their county a yellow county or an orange county, keep yellow, yellow, orange, orange, uh, we're going to be a lot better off. And we're going to, again, have a great better opportunity to get people back to work, better opportunity to have school and sports and all the things that we want to want to have in the fall. So the warning is heated. Uh, the warning is correct. Uh, and the doctor is not the only one that's saying that. Uh, Dr. Burke said the same thing as well to us this weekend. You. Hi, Governor. Andy Chow with Ohio Public Radio and Television State House News Bureau. You were mentioning the events that lead to the spread of COVID-19, fundraisers and road trips. What do you, there are people who plan these events and they say, well, I'm taking, I'm taking my own risk. I'm, I, I know the risk and I'm going to take that risk because that's what I want to do. What's your message to people to say that it's, it's that risk that they're willing to take? One of the few times in our life when we know what we do or don't do every single day will impact other people's health, maybe their lives. Um, that's a pretty awesome responsibility that we all have. And, you know, it's not a question of, okay, I decide to go do something risky and the only person that's going to get hurt is me. It's a different story. We may tell someone, well, I wish you wouldn't do that. Uh, but to some extent, we look at that person and say, okay, they got to make their own choice. That's very different, though, 
when we're talking about COVID-19 that is very, very contagious. Uh, the, the, one, the one story I told there, uh, you know, just think how many people were impacted by one car ride. How many people were impacted by one charitable event? Um, and it goes well beyond people who decide to attend or not attend the event. It may be a spouse. It may be a grandmother. It may be a coworker when they go back to the office the next week. And what makes this so different, so different than so many things that we deal with in life uh, is that there's no symptoms many times. There's no symptoms. Uh, and again, that's why the advice in regard to masks, for example, has certainly evolved. When we started this, I don't think we had any, really a clue uh, how many people could have this and not have symptoms. Today we do. We have a pretty good idea. Uh, and so the, the, the advice has, has evolved. But uh, So I would say to anyone um, who thinks it's about them, it's not about you, it's about everybody else. And uh, you're entitled to take your own chances. You're not entitled to take chances on somebody else's life. Good afternoon. This is Jackie Borchert from the Cincinnati Enquirer. Um, Ohio State University announced today plans to uh, go forward with home games at about 20% capacity, about 21,000 fans in the shoe. Uh, that, that seems to go against even the move you just made earlier today, closing down large events at the fairs. Do, do you support this plan? Uh, I was not aware of it. Um, <laughs> I think it's we all love Ohio State football, at least most of us do. Uh, we got a few few outliers, <laughs> Michigan, but uh, uh, or Penn State or somebody else. But most Ohioans love Ohio State football. Uh, it's part of our it's part of our fall. It's part of what we like to do. Um, but again, we we have to determine priorities, uh, and you know it's too early, frankly, to determine what is safe. Uh, it's too early to determine whether putting uh, you know, over twenty thousand people at Ohio State Stadium is really a safe thing or not. I don't think we know that. Um, so, you know. It's okay to plan. I think planning is good, but whether it's 20% or 10% or something else, I don't think we, we, we know at this point in time. Um, you know, what, you, what I think we always have to be concerned with when we're talking about any kind of sport, uh, particularly a, a big sport, uh, you know, Browns, Bengals, Reds, Indians, if we talk about, you know, people going there. It's not just what happens inside the ballpark or inside the stadium. Um, I have every confidence that, you know, these these great professional teams and, and, and Ohio State, great university, they can figure out where to seat people and keep them safe at some level. I don't know what that level is yet, but at some level. Uh, but the real concern is, well, what happens before? Um, what's the ingress, egress? Um, what are all the other things that go along with having that many people in one site? Um, even though it's a big place, uh, that's still it's still 20-some thousand people or 10,000 or whatever number we end up uh, uh, deciding upon. So I, I think, look, it's, it's fine for Ohio State to plan. We all, we, you know, we all love to look at the schedule. And, of course, they've already taken off the non-Big Ten uh, schedule. But um, we, we sure hope we have football in the fall. We sure hope we have a school in the fall. We hope our kids can play Friday night football in the fall and run cross country and do other things. Well, it's too early. 
We cannot tell. And we're going to, again, control that. And so for those who love Ohio State football, uh, you know, no matter what county you live in, if we can wear the mask and if we can be careful, it increases our odds. No guarantees in life, but it certainly increases our odds of being able to, to, to do that. Sean Lanier with uh, NBC4. I had a question uh, regarding you brought up some uh, stories about how families are traveling and still spreading it to other people because of just behavioral uh, things that they're doing. But now we're talking about opening back daycares up to uh, full capacity at, to, for some of them. Any concerns with the children not being able to follow these behaviors of social distancing and spreading it to their families? Uh, just explain a little bit of the thought process of getting them back uh, to full capacity. Thank you for the question because I don't think I've uh, there's been few things that I've agonized over as much as is is childcare. Uh, I, I became convinced uh, that the alternative uh, was children in unsafe conditions uh, as people go back to work and as kids go back in the fall and other things happen. Um, we had uh, for the summer. Uh, I think the safest child care in the country, um, at least by the regulations we have, the ratios we have, we were some of the most conservative in the in sense of conservative being safe uh, ratios. Now, I caught a lot of hell for that, uh, and a lot of people, you know, were upset. Uh, certainly a lot of the child care providers were upset. Uh, we did subsidize some of them. We subsidized anybody that was doing that and anybody that was following that. Um, but... I became convinced that um, the alternative, uh, a lot of these choices are one choice or the other, neither, neither, neither one is exactly what you want, uh, that the alternative of these kids not having a place to go, uh, the grandparents taking kids, and particularly grandparents who might have a medical condition or might be older, um, and all the other things that w were going on that uh, our daycare providers who do a good job uh, were better able to take care of these kids. So then we looked at and said, okay, how can we maybe continue uh, some of these smaller ratios? And we came back with the idea that we would take money, uh, and this is the CARES, some of the CARES Act money, and we would subsidize some of these daycares. And basically, we would let the market control uh, the daycares that wanted to operate under a smaller ratio, and we would give them the subsidy. That would be fine. The ones who would go back to what the statutory numbers are, in those particular cases, they would not get the subsidy. So uh, this is the best that we could come up with in, in a very uh, uh, difficult uh, situation. Uh, I ask our Jobs and Family Services to uh, give, give me the, the numbers, and I read those numbers, because uh, frankly I wanted to see um, you know, what how many kids out of and, and, and adults uh, ended up with COVID. And so I, I gave you those numbers earlier on. Um, and I want, wanted to be able to look at that. We also, as I said, have, are participating in a, in a, uh, a, a f sort of first-of-its-kind study, a very large study um, that is aimed at our child care workers. Uh, 
Uh, and it, the study compares childcare workers who, when the pandemic hit, went home, didn't, were no longer their, 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 their child care facility closed, they didn't work, they went home, versus those who stayed and continued to work. And so that study is trying to tra- track both of them, and frankly, is trying to see what increased risk they have by working in child care. Uh, because if you, if you talk about the risk, uh, the risks are a kid gets sick uh, and then takes that home to the family, and you have community family spread and community spread. But the other risk uh, is to that child care worker, that child care worker who may be obese, that child care worker who may be older, that child care worker who may, may have a diabetes, uh, any, any kind of you know, additional medical problem. And so they are, you know, at, at risk. And so what the study is trying to determine is how much more at risk are they? Are they more at risk than if they were doing something else? And so it, it should be instructive to us. It also is aimed at looking at what variables you change in child care to get a better result. I mean, we all, we've come up with what we think is the best, but we don't have any data behind it because no one's done the study. So when that study comes back, we are going to know more, and I'm sure we will go back out into the field to our child care providers and say to them, okay, this, this is in probably the most important thing you got to do and ask them to do those things. Long answer, but it's been a very, uh, a very for me, a very uh, uh, kind of agonizing decision. And I know that, you know, look, we've inconvenienced people. Uh, we, we've caused some difficulties for people. Our goal is to keep kids safe and the adults who are taking care of them safe and to, and to slow community spread. That's been our goal. That remains our goal. Good afternoon, Governor Karen Johnson, WLWT in Cincinnati. Kentucky just closed bars and limited the number of people allowed in restaurants. Are you considering the same restrictions? Also, your contact sports order expires in three days. Can you please give these coaches, players, leagues some kind of direction? Uh, not today, I can't. And again, as I said, these are very these are these are tough calls. They're tough calls for coaches. They're tough calls for the parents, and they're tough calls for the governor and for the lieutenant governor. Um, this we are at a critical stage in this virus. We don't know which way it's going to go. If we knew where it was going to be uh, in in four weeks or three weeks, uh, we would be in much better position to make a decision in regard to sports. But we also understand that if you're going to play football in the fall, you got to be conditioned, you got to be ready. We we understand there is a progression, uh, and so up to this point, we've allowed the practices and we've allowed certain things to take place as far as, as conditioning, uh, and so we'll do that. As far as the um, as far as the bars, uh, we'll have we are in the process of doing a deep dive on that. Frankly, what we're looking at is to determine uh, you know, how many cases came out of bars uh, that we can trace back to bars, and, uh, and we're looking at that, and we'll have uh, more shortly, but not today. Hi, Governor Jeff Reddick from ABC6 here in Columbus. Uh, I'm the last question. By the way, thank you for the material for my son's graduation party in 18 years, I'm sure. Uh, you've instituted orders like today's that end up taking place a, a week later or several days later. For example, in this case, there are county fairs scheduled to go forth before July 31st. 
why not issue these immediately? A lot of people say, why wait when the activities you're naming as dangerous are already set to go on? This goes off and our order goes into effect on the 31st, uh, so that's pretty close in time. Uh, look, fares that are already uh, taking place, um, I felt it would be very, very disruptive uh, to go in there and tell them that they have to change their fare in the middle of the fair. I think it's very difficult. Uh, there's a sen some sense of, of fairness. Uh, it's going to be tough enough to do that to county fairs that are going to start this weekend, but we felt it was urgent enough and important enough to do that. I'm going to end with a plea to everybody in the 10 counties that are out there where fairs are going on now. Please be careful. Please wear a mask. Uh, I'll say to the, the members of the fair boards, please follow the guidelines that we've already given you in regard to fairs, and then add to that guideline, of course, the state order in regard to wearing masks. We want your fair to be as safe as that fair can be. Um, and we will, uh, you know, you are ultimately responsible for your fair. Uh, so please keep people safe. And to the local health departments, I'll say the same thing. You are ultimately responsible as well. And uh, we know you both will do a good job and hope everybody has fun at the fair. Thank you very much. We'll see you all uh, on Thursday at 2 o'clock. Thank you.